Hey, what's going on? Thanks for checking out the Blissful Prospecting Podcast. My name is Jason Bay. You can call me Jay Bay. Today, we're mixing it up a little bit. We're going to be talking to Megan Misiak. She is founder of a company called The Path to Presidents Club. She is an excellent trainer, coach, and what she specializes in is discovery and sort of the middle of the, the sales funnel. And why I thought this would be relevant is because a lot of you that listen to this podcast are also doing sales or some sort of qualification. And I've learned a lot from her personally on how to do better discovery. So that's what we're going to dig into today. Let's get to the episode. All right. So I'm super excited. Thanks for joining me today. Megan, I have worked with her in a couple different capacities, actually. We're in a mastermind together to get a book written that Andy Paul is uh, helping us out with, which is pretty cool. We are also both coaches for a company called Sales Qualia. So Scott Sambucci, he's been on the podcast before, good friend. We both do coaching for his group over there at Sales Qualia. And uh, recently I've talked to Megan a couple of times just to get help with my own uh, discovery process. And she's really awesome. And what we're going to talk about today is the three whys of great discovery and how to kind of structure your discovery. So if you're a BDR, SDR and you're doing some of your own qualification, you're going to get a lot of little tidbits out of this too around how to go about that process. So I, I couldn't think of a better person to talk to about this. So you're really going to enjoy the episode today. Before we get to it, one quick favor I have is if you're getting a lot of value out of this podcast, I would love to hear from you in the form of a review on iTunes. So if you have the podcast app or an iPhone, open it up, go in the podcast app, search for Blissful Prospecting, It'll take you straight there, scroll to the bottom, leave a quick review. It would really help out so we could grow the audience, continue getting on people like you and great guests like Megan. So I would really appreciate that. Let's get to the episode. So I always like to start out with a quick icebreaker. So I'm curious with you, what was your favorite childhood breakfast? Ooh, this is such a weird question. I've definitely never gotten this before. So for me, it definitely is just yogurt with granola and, okay. and fresh fruit. I grew up in Washington state. And so it was always like really fresh fruit and, you know, homemade bread and things like that. So oh, it brings me right back to my childhood. I'm jealous. Yeah. We were like, <laughs> kind of like Reese's Cocoa Pops, sugary cereal kind of. Where in Washington did you grow up though? Because I grew up in Oregon. Oh, in Bellingham. Oh, right oh, by okay. Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived there until I was nine. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're both from the Pacific Northwest. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. I feel like everyone thinks I'm from Florida and there's some Georgia. I'm just from everywhere. So it's actually really interesting. One thing that defined my childhood was change. Okay. So for me, it's actually really, it's been a part of my evolution and I probably am more excited for change. Whereas as a trainer, I know that a lot of people don't like to change. So I have to temper my my own ideas around it. Yeah, no, I love this. So that'll be kind of interesting actually to kind of look at everything today through that lens. Yeah. Like when we talk about discovery, like what got you interested in helping people like with this process to begin with, if we kind of take it back a little bit, what about discovery is so interesting to you? Yeah. So it's funny because it's not even discovery per se, but ever since I was in sales, um, I mean, even in retail in high school, mm -hmm. I was always looking at the processes. Yeah. I was just that weird person that wanted to know why, like, wait, why is 
why are we doing this? Why is it optimized? What if we did this? Wouldn't it shave a few minutes off of what we're doing? I was always that really annoying employee that would question everything. I was never satisfied with, that's just how we do it. And especially when I got into SaaS sales, I would look around and I would see some people who had been succeeding. You know, there were top performers that didn't understand what they were doing or why it worked. They're like, oh, well, the other person that was doing well, I just did what he did and and it worked. And now I just do it on repeat. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to wait 10 years until I figure it out. Yeah. I want to be successful now. And for me, that's why really taking a look at the sales process, trying to find training, resources, the answers, why do we do it like this? And how can I improve it? And so it just like began this lifelong journey of picking apart everything in sales and trying to put together the pieces, understand what fits best. And ultimately, I'm the most impatient person in the world. So I hate wasting time. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't wasting time on any opportunities or situations or even just like conversations that didn't matter. Yeah. What's funny is you mentioned like, oh, I was that annoying person asking all the questions. And do you feel like that gets discouraged in a lot of like sales culture and like teams out there where it really gets discouraged to be that person to speak up and say, you know, why do we do it like this? Like, is there a reason why we don't do it a different way? Like, this seems like that would be more efficient. Do you feel a lot of that gets shut down in your experience or what do you see in the companies you work with? Oh, I mean, even in the trainings, like I know how it feels, especially very early on in a training experience where I was like, perfect, I'm going to put together this training. I shall deliver it. There will be a wave of claps and <laughs> then they will just adopt it. And I mean, you're giggling, Jason, because you know that's not how trainings go. People are like, I'm sorry, this doesn't apply. What are you talking about? Why should I do that? And yeah. it was actually personally a really big thing to overcome in my own training. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times sales leaders, it, the easiest answer is because I said so. Yep. But what I've realized, especially managing through influence, where you're managing everyone, but also no one directly, you have to really think about training from the perspective of answering why. So it's interesting with discovery because one of the biggest questions I actually get is not why, but how. I'm like, I get a lot of questions like, okay, Maggie, you, you say that we should do this and this and this, but how do I integrate this into like what I'm doing today? Or like, how do I do that? Because it's very, very different than what I see happening in the field. So I think there's so many questions that come up with training, but it's also one of the reasons I love working directly with reps because it's answering those questions. Like, okay, you read a book on this. How can we integrate it? You saw something that was really cool that someone else was doing. Does it make sense to put this into your own process? And that's actually kind of the fun puzzle that's sales and really owning your sales career versus just, you know, doing what you're told. And I think it's something I wish more sellers did. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there that you mentioned with training <laughs> where... Yeah, you're laughing I, really I hard. You, you have all the memories coming up, right? <laughs> well, it's, you would think that people would be so eager to get the information, but you remember that, hey, I'm training salespeople and like the selling as a trainer doesn't stop when you get the project. <laughs> In fact, it might actually even be harder, you know, after that. Cause like salespeople are, are like, they're like the toughest crowd. Cause they'll be like, yeah, I tried that Megan and it didn't work. All the time. And you're like, okay. And then you have to like objection handle like with people like in the middle of a training, which is really fun because it's kind of meta, right? Yeah. Um, and you can you <laughs> kind of go to those things. But 
you use the word influence, and I thought that was this might be like a really good place to start. Like as a sales manager or internal coach or someone that's like trying to get your team to do things a certain way, like starting with that why. Like, do you have any advice? You know, because for any managers or anyone internally that's like trying to create that kind of change in their company and like how they can get people to really think about like why. Yeah, I mean, we're going to bring it full circle because the coolest thing is that the why questions is kind of the same with clients, right? You have to mm-hmm. give them the why. And I think so many times we as sales trainers and sales leaders, we start as a lot of times our sales team starts, which we're excited to share. Like, let me tell you everything about this project, the cool opportunities it's going to mean for us, all of the, the bright and shiny things it's going to provide. And the sales leaders are like, uh-uh, old. Like, tell me what it's going to cost, what I'm going to have to do. This doesn't seem to solve my pain right now. And we like, we hear this, right? And it's the same with clients. So I think there's three main questions we always want to answer, whether we are trying to bring change to a sales organization or we're trying to bring change to a client. And it's first, why do anything? Why change? Mm -hmm. And I think this is the biggest one that we need to answer for our clients because we assume that when they come to us, when they book a meeting, they're already bought into change. No, most of the time they're not. They're still in exploratory mode. So why change? But then why you? Why is this the best solution, the best process? You know, what are the other options? Or is even do nothing an option? Right. And then finally, the one that a lot of times we forget is why now? Mm -hmm. Because if you're like me, I've evaluated a lot of technologies, a lot of solutions. I've read a ton of books. Why now for me is a lot of times hard to answer. I'm like, I could do that in six months. It won't impact anything. And then ultimately, six months turns into like six years later. And it's, it's something I find in my desk. I have like so many, you know, booklets where I was like, oh, this is a good idea. I'm going to do that later. And then it never gets done. Let's talk about that why now piece, because I, I relate with you. It's something I struggle with selling, you know, to clients. And it's them getting help with their prospecting sounds really nice. And the question always is like around timing, usually. You know, it's like, hey, we get we need this. But that question, that why now, like, how do you look at urgency or is urgency a part of this? And can you create urgency? Like, how do you think about that? Like, how do you help a prospect answer that question? Okay, so the question you just asked is perfect. How do you help the client answer that question? And I think that's it because so many times we're like, hey, is this urgent right now? And they give one of two answers. They're like, not really. You're like, well, great. And we're like disqualified. Or we are talking to one champion. They're like, this is really important. And we're like, perfect, super important. And then later on the process, we're like, okay, wait, why is this important? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I just, I wanted to get it done by the end of the quarter. And you realize, oh no, it was just a to-do list. There's actually not a lot of urgency. So I do think that it is possible to influence it. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a few things that people do that can be optimized. So again, a lot of times we're too open-ended with the urgency around why now. We just ask them or we don't even ask them and we just assume that it's important and urgent mm-hmm. or that, hey, I, I just want to get this done by the end of the quarter. That's not urgency. That's not a compelling event, right? Yeah. So I think that um, a lot of times when we approach why now, we approach it as an event versus a compelling event. 
we hear timelines like, you know, I want to, I want this to get this done in the next three weeks. It would be nice if we could do it by this time, but you don't hear the compelling part of it. And I think we have to really bring up the questions around timing to help them understand, is it urgent? Is it important? And also, um, I see that a lot of times people are pretty short-sighted in terms of timing. It's either like an urgent pressing need right now, or it's future time, which future time, we all know. For me, I'm like, let's just do that later. And then it's like six years later. Yeah. So how do you bridge the gap? And I think one thing that I do is when we're researching accounts, I actually have an account research document we actually list out the value drivers. So like, are they looking to drive revenue? Are they looking to increase customer satisfaction and awareness? Are they looking to manage compliance and regulation? Or are they looking to increase efficiency and effectiveness? And for each of those, depending on the priority for this client, why don't you map a compelling event, like map a compelling timeline for each of those areas of value? And I know this is like, <laughs> this is might sound a little weird and crazy because you're like, oh, well, you know, compelling events, do they actually map to value? But they do. Think about a retailer. They're most of the time they're looking to drive revenue, right? So um, a big compelling event that maps to revenue. Think about when their biggest sales of the year are, right? Yeah. But that also maps to efficiency because thinking about they want to make sure that they have, I'm assuming your solution implemented a few weeks or a few months before that big event so that they can make sure usually they go into like code freezes, things like that. So you you see working back from those timelines, but also that it plays into efficiency as well, because usually during their biggest sale of the year, they're working crazy hours. So even getting them to think like, what would it mean for you to actually implement this now, this tool that will make your process more efficient? So instead of spending hours and hours and hours in the office, this would mean more time back for you and your family. So you see how like mapping to those big compelling events and mapping it back is really critical. And I think a lot of times, again, another example of an event versus a compelling event a lot of people, when I ask them about retailers, they're like, oh, there's a Valentine's Day sale coming up. And I'm like, that's an event. It's not a compelling event. It's an excuse to, to launch a marketing campaign, you know? Yeah. So I think recognizing the difference between those two things and really like, is it actually compelling? Can we answer why now from various stakeholders? That is really important to do. And even when you think about like, why now? It's not only why, why do anything, but... It's even like, why go through the sales process now? Like, why take in the next meeting in one week versus three weeks? We should always be thinking about these things and trying to create urgency for every step of the process, not even for just the broad process as a whole, because we know that people have a hard time thinking about, you know, long-term projects and project planning. So we need to make sure that we're driving urgency for micro stages as well. Man, there's so much to unpack there. So (laughs) is this like, where do I go? Do you see this happening mostly at the enterprise level or do you see this happening like even like mid-market kind of deals as well? How much of a project manager does a salesperson tend to become? And do you see that kind of fluctuate based on like deal sizes or anything like that? There's a lot of people that listen to this that might sell something that's like $20,000 ACV. And there's some people that might sell something that's a half a million dollars, you know, kind of thing. Do you see fluctuations and the amount of project management typically for something like that? Yeah. So I think that I'm going to give you the easy answer and then 
the more nuanced answer. So the easy answer is, of course, when you are in a more transactional environment, the timelines, like it's more about qualification. There's going to be, you know, higher volume of opportunities. You're going to have more conversations. So you do actually have to focus a little bit more on qualifying versus building value. Um, and then with the more enterprise level, it's even more important on that why now, because usually the sales cycles are so much longer mm-hmm. and you really need to drive urgency for now, because if it's a six to eight month process, you need to make sure that they're starting now because in their mind, they might be thinking about solving like immediate needs. And it's, it's really challenging to keep them engaged, to keep the urgency going throughout that long process. But the the harder question or the more nuanced answer is I get so many people that are like, well, I'm mid-market. This sounds a little bit more complex. And what's so cool is a lot of times I work with mid-market teams to actually take some of those high-level enterprise strategies and apply them. Mm-hmm. And I see companies where there's team members that they're selling like $13,000 deals And then by implementing some of these things, by asking why change, why you, why now, they're actually able to better qualify out opportunities so that they can focus more on the ones that actually matter. And within those opportunities, they're, they're actually able to increase their close rates, their conversion rates for these discovery calls to get more people. So they actually have to have fewer conversations and the process moves a lot more quickly because they're answering these things. So I think it's actually twofold where yes, you can use these strategies for honestly any sales process, almost any, (laughs) probably not as much for um, like highly transactional. There's just, of course, I, I never say like you can always use something, but I do think that it's, it's something that we should always be thinking about. Gotcha. So if we spend some time, you're essentially looking at the discovery process. I need to figure out those three whys. You kind of look at it through that lens and those filters. I need to know like why they should change. And if they do decide that they're going to change, why it should be with you. And then why should they do it now? Structurally, how does that get implemented typically? And, and what, what kind of structure do you recommend? You know, if we were to look at a call, how it should be structured and how we get to like some of these places. And I know it's probably going to vary depending on your sales process, but... How do you look at that? Yeah. So this is the tricky part because, I mean, unless you're an entrepreneur where you're starting from scratch and you're saying, I have no process, now we need to create a discovery call. A lot of times it's easy for us as trainers to be like, hey, this is the way you should do it. But most of the time I come into teams where you already have a discovery script. You might have a discovery deck from marketing with some talk tracks my answer is kind of twofold. I do think that the cool thing about these questions is that it should be in that order in terms of like going through the discovery flow. But what I want to take is kind of that perspective of, I know that most of the listeners are not going to be starting from scratch. So I want to urge everyone to think about like, how can I actually pair some of these ideas with your existing scripts, your existing process? And one of the easiest ways to think about it is actually looking at your full flow, right? Whether you have a discovery template that you use with questions and actually look at them and say, how am I answering the question? Why change? And it's funny because you'll probably look at your discovery scripts, the questions you ask, the slides you present, if you're using a slide deck and you're probably categorizing them, right? You're like, oh, this is why I have this big idea, this big hook, this really inspirational message. 
is to inspire them to change or to help them uncover the reasons, whether it's pain or gain. And then you probably have a few why you slides or why you talking points, right? In terms of credibility and the awards you've won, the clients you work with, et cetera. I will say a lot of times people miss the why now, especially because how many times, Jason, have you gone through a discovery call and you look at the clock and you're like, oh no, I have like two minutes left. It happens all the time. All the time, right? 30 minute call, usually that first (laughs) meeting. And I'm like, oh, I haven't talked next steps yet. I haven't talked about what the process, I haven't learned anything about their process for bringing people in. And it's just like, it's a lot, you know, to cover. Yeah. In 30 minutes. And then people want to hear, well, tell me about the program. Tell me about the price, you know, like, and it's a lot to pack into a 30 minute call. Yeah. So one thing I want people to think about is like, there's a few easy ways that I would encourage people to implement these questions into their process. One of the biggest ones is a lot of times we don't focus on why now. And that's where why we hear things like, hey, yeah, well, we really interested. Can you send us some information? And I'm going to go talk to a few people, see where this fits. And and then it just goes dark. And then somehow, but like we always have those stories. Well, it popped up six months later. And I was like, yeah, but what would happen if you actually focused on urgency and you eliminated that gap? You know, what if you could convert more discovery meetings to where there's actually building urgency and they understand why now? So you can eliminate some of those, the lack of interest, the lack of urgency, et cetera. So like that's one of the easiest ways is to just make sure that you're actually okay moving things to the next meeting. You have a a little post-it note parking lot where you're like, hey, that's a really interesting question, you know, a deeper technical question. I'd love us to maybe cover that on our next meeting. It's so funny. We try to cover so much on the discovery call without realizing that unless we cover those three questions, why change, why you, why now? And a lot of times that doesn't include deeper technical scoping, right? Our clients, if they're wanting to hear more, that's not a, a sign often that we haven't done our jobs. It's actually a good sign that we have done our jobs, that they're interested in hearing more. But it's okay to move things to that next meeting because we need to make sure that we actually have time to cover why change, why you, why now, so that there will be a next meeting. So just giving yourself some time at the end of the call, you know, in a 60-minute discovery meeting, that could be, I usually recommend like seven minutes, seven to 10 minutes to actually summarize the conversation summarize why change what you've heard, you know, a few things about why you like what they were excited about that you can dive deeper in the next meeting. And then why now? Where are they in the process? Why is it urgent? Even thinking about giving the excuse, hey, it sounds like this is urgent. From a timeline perspective, where are you in the process? And I just want to make sure that from the next meeting, I rally our team and we have a good understanding of when you're hoping to get this launched and like using that as an excuse to understand their urgency. Got it. Okay. God, I want to dig into this. (laughs) I love the idea for like, you almost kind of like pre-selling the second meeting too. Hey, that's a great question. That would be something great for us to talk about on the next call. What should the first like five to 10 minutes of the discovery call like do you set an agenda? Do you get buy-in around that? Do you ask them like what you want to talk about? Like how do you recommend people get the call started? Yeah. So it's really interesting because it can be kind of awkward 
right? We all know that the super salesy agenda and like it feels robotic or we're kind of struggling because we are moving from the awkward small talk to trying to jump into the agenda. And I think in terms of why change, why you, why now, one of my favorite questions to ask and the very first question you ask is what I call roles and goals. Mm -hmm. So just asking them, whether you have one person or a team saying, hey, I'd love to start off with a quick overview of your role and what are some of the goals you're focusing on over the next two years? That one question is so important because it actually starts the conversation at a very high level around goals, pain, priorities, and urgency. If you actually say, hey, what are you focusing on over the next two years, you can actually make sure that you understand like you have then talking points where you can dive into, wow, really interesting. I'm sure you're doing a lot in the next six months to set the foundation for those projects. Like, what are you focused on? And it just gives you so many talking points to dig into. So I think that asking that question, doing kind of work is actually interesting because most of the time we start with whether it's like an icebreaker or it's a very technical question, but starting off at that high level and then going into more of the agenda, the expectations. I love a good upfront contract. And to your point, if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's a quick psychological tool to set expectations for the call. And this is what you were talking about earlier in terms of like setting up that next meeting as well. Because if you basically say, hey, my goal for this meeting is to learn a little bit more about you. Of course, you're here to learn about us. And I'm happy to share, answer questions you have and share a brief overview. But typically by the end of this conversation, we'll have two things. We will understand if we should have a joint agreement on if it makes sense to move forward or not. And I'll also be keeping a list of, you know, sometimes deeper technical questions that come up or things that you want to cover in the next meeting. Also, you can set up even like building a business case for the next meeting. For example, one of my last companies, they had solutions consultants to do more of a deeper dive on the next call. And so we even said, if there are any use cases you would like to see with your branding, your um, content, we can also take some notes on that so that you can get the most out of the next meeting. And like, it's all about building that business case for the meeting while also making sure that you accomplish the goals of the discovery call. Why change? Why you? Why now? <laughs> Everyone if probably is thinking of like those deeper technical questions or like the rabbit holes that clients take you on in the first meeting. And you're like, how am I supposed to answer these questions in 30 minutes or 60 minutes when we just go down so many weird routes in the conversation, right? But I think being able to parking lot things and save them for the next meeting is one way you got to get really comfortable with that so that you can make sure you answer those three questions. Got it. So it sounds like in the first couple of minutes, you have some chit chat and then you start out the conversation with the roles and the goals. Okay, we have a pretty good idea there. You're taking notes. And, and I'm kind of curious just if this is a personal preference or what your recommendations are. I'm constantly like typing out notes like during a discovery call. Do you recommend that or do you recommend that people really maybe don't take a lot of notes at all and like really try to listen and like pay closer attention? Is it personal preference? Like what do you recommend there? So ooh, I get asked this question all the time. Also, I used to as a trainer think that everyone liked templates as much as I did. I've definitely realized that they don't. 
So I do think it's a personal preference, but there's usually a few types of sellers. I see a lot of sellers, especially more earlier in their careers, or some people are just more attuned to this. They like templates and checklists and really they like starting off. And for me, I mean, I think it's one of the most efficient ways to consistently answer these three questions, but I do think it's really important to invest a bit more time up front so that if you can simply spend an hour creating a template for your discovery questions and notes, then you can use that for years later. You can improve upon it. You can test it. You can see what works, what doesn't. And I think that plan is so important. So I think the other type of seller that I see though, I mean, there's just so many different types of learners. Some people also, as you use that checklist more regularly, it just becomes ingrained in your mind. And we've seen those sellers who like just somehow crush it with like very little prep and things like that. So I think you have to figure out, like I would always recommend in terms of discovery, what I always do with my reps is I have them, even if they're using a slide deck, I have them prepare discovery questions for the entire conversation. It does start off from more of a templated version. Mm -hmm. And then for every discovery call, they actually have to customize, okay, what questions you can ask for this client? What upfront contract are you going to use? We even have them go through the template and customize the entire conversation until it's more muscle memory and they can do it more on the fly. Yeah, I love that. I'm a big fan of templates. I've been using templates and checklists like my entire sales career. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like you do that the first couple of minutes and then you want to spend the majority of the time in your discovery. If you're doing a 30 minute discovery, you probably, I would imagine, want to spend 15 or 20 minutes of that answering the why change, why you, why now questions leave five minutes at the end to wrap up. Let's dig into like the why change. What are some different ways that we can kind of approach helping the prospects like answer that question? You mentioned kind of like a, there's almost like a narrative, I guess, around like, yeah. hey, here's the old way that people are handling this thing. And like, here's an, a new way. Is like, is that how you recommend getting started? You have to have a narrative or like, what are some of the things that we can do to help them answer the question, why should we change our way of doing things? Yeah, I'm going to do a really quick summary of like what I see a lot of people doing. And I think for people on the phone where you've done so much shadowing, you're like, okay, I mean, it's easy for me to just say, this is how I think you should do it. But I do want to highlight a lot of times where people start off. So where I see a lot of people going is just like this standard talk track, where a lot of times they feel like they're talking about their company for big majority of the conversation, they're going through like five or six slides, and then they're pivoting to discovery. It really feels like pitching at someone, right? There's like all of these talk tracks, you're not asking a lot of questions, or you're asking, you're going through a lot of information and saying, does that make sense? Okay, let's move on. (laughs) By the way, one thing you should just like not say at all in discovery is, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, a rant for another day. But in really like for me, I see this big gap between pitching and engagement. So one thing that I always tell people is we need to move more to a client-centric approach. And a lot of times when we ask them, like it's usually like one or two questions and then we just start pitching our product, right? Mm -hmm. We're like, hey, look, what are your goals? What are your challenges? Okay, cool. Let's get into talking about our company now. But one thing that I find is really helpful is a concept called value drivers. So this is one slide that I think you can put into any existing talk tracks, any decks, et cetera. 
And it's basically thinking through what are the main buckets of pain and gain. And you can literally do this exercise, make a list. One list, what are the pain points you hear most frequently from clients? List them out. Gain, what are the value adds? You know, is it more money, more time back, more more leads, more qualified leads? Like whatever you do, make a list. And then I always ask people to think like, if you could summarize these in three main buckets, what would they be? And the funny part is that, Jason, I've been doing this exercise for many years now. And most people come to three or four main categories. Revenue. So it's making money. (laughs) It's something around like customer satisfaction, awareness, loyalty. And I call this bucket brand value. So it's like brand awareness. Do people know about you? What do they think of you? How are your ratings? Do they keep coming back? Right. Then there is efficiency and effectiveness. And finally, it's risk and compliance. And I think that one thing that's the easiest way to uncover the why change is saying, hey, these are the three, usually there's like three primary ones. These are the three ways that we help our clients. By the way, this is exactly how I do my discovery. Mm-hmm. I say, hey, before I jump into what I do, the solutions, et cetera, I usually help people in three main ways. It's closing more deals, closing bigger deals, and scaling your teams. What are you most focused on right now? And you see, I didn't talk about anything about what I do, but I think this is the most important thing to really understanding why change, because you have to figure out what's important to them before you figure out why you, right? If you're not focusing on the right area of value, then everything you throw out will just be kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And usually there's just not enough time to do that. So that value driver concept is a really easy way to actually have a very productive conversation around value. So, you know, which of these areas are you focused on? What specific goals do you have for these areas? What's holding you back? What have you tried before that has worked or hasn't worked? What about the priorities for other teams across the organization? Usually we work with these three other stakeholders, like, also, I saw from your annual report, the account research that I did, that this was a, a primary goal. Can you tell me more about that? And so I think that's one of the easiest ways. We always talk about ourselves so much, but one of the easiest ways to actually pivot more to a client-centric discovery call, having more conversations around value and what their priorities are before you then go into solutioning. Because if you get them excited about a solution, they're going to take that next call where you can dive deeper into the solutions. You don't have to cover the entire solution in the first call. And that's a big shift. I know it's like scary to do that because you leave a call saying, well, I didn't really talk that much about myself, but that's okay. And usually you'll get a lot higher response and and higher conversion rates when you actually answer these three questions. I love that. The value drivers thing is pretty interesting. Because then that gives them context. Because I I think when people ask, well, what do you do? Tell me about you and how you help people. What they're really wanting is for you to provide context for the conversation that you're having together. I don't think they want you to do a deep dive into how much stuff costs. And like, you're not even like to that point. They just want to know if I'm going to spend a half hour to 60 minutes with you. And you're going to ask me all of these like really kind of deep questions. Like, 
where the fuck are we going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and where is uh, this going? What's the purpose of this? You know, exactly. kind of thing. How does this fit in? Like, where do we have alignment between us? Yeah. So I do think that if we can even summarize, like, the agenda, I think why do anything, why you, why now? If you can think about it in four main buckets, like going down the agenda, you first, of course, need to just qualify. And qualification, like, it doesn't just have to be a line of questioning. It can even just be a few quick questions up front or even like in an email before, or maybe you pre-qualify them in advance. But then it really is on quantifying the pain and the value, figuring out to them, because the questions they have in their mind are not why change, why you, why now, like sometimes, but a lot of times it's a little bit more client-centric even. It's, will it drive value for us right? Because so many times salespeople are like, our solution can help anyone. And they're like, okay, well, I'm a special snowflake. And I really need to be very upfront around like our specific challenges. And I think the third question that usually leads to, especially for SaaS sellers is, will this drive value within my tech stack? And the funny thing is that so many times we're just trying to jump into the specifics on the product and everything. But mm. unless we actually show them how this will drive value, like the goal is in discovery is not to answer every single technical question. It's to generate enough interest and trust that we will dr- deliver value that they're interested in hearing the how. You know, they're interested in hearing more about how you would do that, what it would look like, the, you know, technical scoping, the deeper conversations. But most of the time, they just want to answer, like, should I even embark in an evaluation? And I think that's a lot of times what we forget. We try to just fit so much into one call. So it's really qualification, quantification, a tiny bit of scoping in terms of, you know, the fit and the solutions, just enough to get them interested in in the next conversation, probably doing a lot of putting things in the parking lot saying, hey, this is a deeper technical question. Let's talk about that on the next call, because we do want to leave enough time for the fourth thing, which is prioritization. What is their urgency? What are their timelines? And how can I make sure that I'm building that business case for the next meeting versus going down those rabbit holes and, and answering all the technical questions? And that's where it's going to help you kind of answer like the why now question as well. Yeah, exactly. So those four areas, and if you actually just look at your discovery agenda, those are usually where I structure the call. You know, it's very similar to a lot of sellers, like what you see in the field, but just being more aware of why you're asking questions. I think like understanding the flow of discovery can help you really understand if I only have 30 minutes, if I do go have a very engaged client ask a lot of questions, by understanding the discovery more deeply, it can actually help you as you're shadowing other calls, other sellers, as you're listening to people, as you're thinking about what questions you can add. It just gives you a nice framework to make sure that you can actually prioritize what questions am I asking? What information am I highlighting? And how essentially am I helping my clients answer these three questions. Love it. I could talk to you for another hour about about this piece. So this has been super awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to share the videos from this. There's going to be some really good stuff. Is there any place, just because we're out of time, where can people go to connect with you and learn more about you and, and what you're up to? Yeah. So LinkedIn is the best place because it is kind of my central hub. Mm -hmm. So I post a lot of free content. There's many free videos and resources. I'm constantly posting, you know, quick ideas as well. And I also have my website linked. 
www.pathtopresidentsclub.com. And a little secret is that I do have a place to book what I call a geek out session. So I'm a sales geek. I love having conversations like this. So I actually have time slotted every single week for sellers or sales leaders that want to ask me a quick question, want to geek out a little bit on discovery, things like that. So feel free to book a session with me. That's awesome. You should definitely hit her up on that, take up her offer. And again, that'll be in the show notes for you guys to check out. That was a fun one. I really love the episode with Megan here. My big takeaway was I love this getting the call started with roles and goals. So, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about what you are focused on? Then you can make the entire discovery process around their goals and what they're focused on. I never really thought to ask it, you know, quite in that way. And it seems kind of obvious, actually. So I'm a little almost like embarrassed. But like figuring out that bit at the beginning to ask is really, really crucial because then every part of the discovery after that can be related back to their goals and what's important to them. Put it in a language, in a format that's very easy for them to talk to the rest of their team about. So that was my big takeaway from today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, would love it if you subscribed and left a short, honest review on the podcast app there on your Apple player. Really appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you next episode.